Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. We're in our 23rd episode of 2021. You know, yesterday, uh, the bipartisan infrastructure talks between President Biden and GOP Senator Capito ended in a deadlock. As a result, the White House will now focus on working with a bipartisan group of 20 senators. The president has come down on a, from a spending target of over $2 trillion to a target of at least $1 trillion, but there's still a gap. And the Republicans are also looking to shift um, the corona relief funds from the American Rescue Plan to pay for infrastructure. So the focus will now shift to a group of 20 senators spearheaded by Senators uh, Manchin, Sinema, Romney, and Portman. The bip- this bipartisan group will likely spend the next few weeks trying to see if they can come up with a deal that's going to be palatable to 60 senators. All of the offices that we've been speaking with uh, favor strong broadband provisions, so we think this will all be good for us as they can work out the details of a larger package. You know, we don't see the point of the House moving forward with anything while this is all pending. And there is only seven weeks left before the August recess. So stay tuned. Speaking of only seven weeks left, the Fiber Connect Conference will be held July 25th to 28th in Nashville. And the event is looking fantastic. And it'll be the largest fiber event in the world this year. If you haven't registered yet, please do so. You won't want to miss it. The early bird pricing is in effect until. June 18th, that's nine more days. So don't delay and register today. Moving into today's topic, it's clear that we're at the beginning of a major fiber investment cycle. And today we're gonna be talking about fiber deployment and how to alleviate the labor burden. And again, good morning and welcome everybody. I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last week we met with my good friends, Jack Burton and David Strauss from the cable industry who share with us a great comparison between the evolutions of DOCSIS and next-gen HFC versus fiber the home. And it's clear that we're very close to a tipping point where the cable industry will be going to fiber to the home. Joining us today are Kevin Morgan, the Chief Marketing Officer at Clearfield, Frost, the Director of Technology and Infrastructure at Cruise.io Internet, and Jeremy Buildings, the General Manager of Regional Engineering at MITCO to discuss alleviating the labor burden a roadmap to those new to the fiber industry. Uh, Kevin Morgan is a former chairman of the Fiber Broadband Association and is currently serving as vice chair. He has been uh, chief marketing officer at Clearfield since 2016 and has decades of experience in the industry. He has a BS in electrical engineering from Auburn, an MBA from Alabama, and he started his career at Bell South in the science and technology department and has served in various management roles with equip, an equipment vendor prior to his experience, current um, executive management role at Clearfield. Frost, originally from Scotland, now living in California, is the Director of Technology and Infrastructure at Cruise.io Internet and has worked in the ISP industry since 2003. Frost serves as the President of the Board at FISPA, a nationwide ISP industry association. Jeremy Buildings is the General Manager of Regional Engineering at MITCO and started in the cable industry as a field tech 16 years ago and has been working in engineering for the past 14 years. 
In his current role, he manages all the outside plant engineering staff throughout North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, and Kansas. So welcome, Kevin, Frost, and Jeremy. It's good to be here. Nice to be here. For our audience, you know, please type in your questions as you go in our Q&A at the conclusion of the presentation. So with that, over to you, gentlemen. Thanks, Gary. Hey, you know, one of the things that we know that we're all wrestling with in today's market is a tight labor market. And that was one of the, when we thought about what message we could bring uh, out was to try to understand what can we do as a, an industry to help alleviate that burden on the labor market that we still have the demand to build fiber-based networks. And when we look at this, we know we have a tight labor market. We know that we have construction costs that are, you know, trailing and, and getting higher uh, in terms of residential build out. Um, so it's, it's putting a burden on the amount of fiber that can be rolled out. Um, but today's environment, it's all about speed, speed of deployment. How fast can I get these fibers to the end user residents for businesses and start getting some return on investment and also providing the services that really change the lifestyle of the people that use this fiber service. And the one of the ways in which uh, we're highlighting today two of Clearfield's customers, Cruise.io Internet and also Midcode, that they really honed in on a couple of key fundamentals on how to go about uh, doing this in a really effective way is to reduce the number of stock keeping units or the number of parts that are needed to build out the network. And then also focus on the modularity and flexibility of products to be able to get into a network design that scales and gets out uh, so that it's easier to, to roll out. And so uh, with that, I wanted to kind of introduce uh, Frost and have uh, him introduce a little bit about Cruise.io Internet. Sure, thanks. So Cruise.io Internet has been running since 1989 in Santa Cruz. We've done everything from dial-in bulletin boards all the way up through resold DSL. Um, we do wireless and fiber now. We are built in our community. We're focused on our community. And, you know, like it says right here, uh, we're focused on getting everyone the best available internet at reasonable prices. One of the huge challenges for us has been, you know, how do we do that in a small community and stay viable? And the, the modularity that we've had with Clearfield has been a huge part of that. The finding a modular way to do this has been key for us to keep our training costs down, to keep the, the lead time from getting labor from a new hire to a fully functional tech that's going out and doing full installs for us has been a, a key part of, uh, of being able to maintain our, our operations here in Santa Cruz. Jeremy, you want to tell us about Midco? Yeah, so Midco, we started the Fiber of the Prem world uh, two years ago-ish now. Also, a couple years ago, we started in the fixed wireless world, which wasn't bad. The original fixed wireless networks, you know, you are getting Cat5 up the side of any vertical asset, get your bandwidth up there. But with the bandwidth or needs and everything that we've ran into over the last couple of years, we've had to bump those links up to 10 gigs. So we had to try and get fiber up to the top of which these grain elevators, water towers, anything tall, you know, I don't know if many people have been to North Dakota, but it's pretty flat on the side of the state. So you can watch your dog run away for a couple of days before you have to catch them. But anyways, uh, so we had to try and figure out how to get fiber from the bottom of these elevators to the top. And you can't use a lot of the traditional ways that you see on your regular 
selling cell towers and different towers you see around the countryside. So using the modularity, connectorized, you know, not having, we don't want to train these techs how to splice fiber. You don't want to splice fiber at the top of an elevator that's not a clean, nice environment. So, you know, we continue with that approach of using uh, modular pieces. So you can take these building blocks, put them together in different ways, forms to get fiber from the bottom to the top of these elevators, water towers. You know, we had to have a product that worked on a whole bunch of different things because if you've ever seen water towers or grain legs, they're never the same. There's always a different looking water tower or grain leg that we had to try and figure out. So using kind of the scalable building block type things, we were able to kind of put together a solution that worked for about anything we could think of to get to the top of. So, so with that, I'd like to transition a little bit into, you know, for those of you that are new to the fiber deployment, this is, this is geared for you. And so uh, this is kind of a really typical look at a fiber deployment, uh, fiber to the home layout. You start on the left-hand side of the diagram with a central office, a head-end um, data center type building that aggregates the fibers. And as you get further and further out into the, the wire center, you have typical elements uh, that are either uh, a hut or a fiber distribution cabinet. And then as you get further out towards the, the homes, you have the residential endpoints. All along the way, the fibers make transitions um, from, from the central office all the way out to the end user. Um, go to the next slide. And I wanted to kind of highlight what we're physically meaning when we talk about modularity and ability to scale. Um, the cassette, the blue cassette that you see here, um, has a number of different types of connectors on the on the front face adapter. We have the SC, uh, Sam Charlie, uh, APC, UPC. We have a number of other uh, high density LC connectors. The cassette itself allows the right amount of fiber management and splicing if we need it. It also can hold um, the splitters if you need it for your fiber deployments. But that device. Uh, is key in that it goes in the central office frames and panels. It goes into the cabinets that are out in the wire center. Um, it can go into the pedestals that you see along the side of the road, the street side cabinets out on the side of the road. It can go into the wall boxes that Jeremy had at the top of the grain elevator leg. Um, and the idea is that if you can train your technicians to be familiar with how to connect into the uh, cassette, then that reduces the amount of complexity for putting together a fiber network. And I'll just ask uh, for some commentary there from Frost. Yeah, I would say, you know, that that simplicity, you talked earlier about keeping the, the number of stock keeping units down. If we've only got to train our techs on one type of, of connection system, it just makes life easier. If we've got only one kind of thing on the shelf, you know, we, we may carry um, pushable fibers or pre-connected, uh, pre-terminated fibers in, 12 different lens, but it's the same thing. You just got to know what lens you're grabbing off the shelf. The, you know, Jeremy talked earlier about not want, not having to train people to splice. We're doing fiber to the home. We don't own a splicer in-house. We have a an underground splicing crew on retainer that can come in and fix uh, repairs if we need them. Um, but none of our field techs that are doing installs are splice trained, which means that we can use our apprenticeship program and bring folks in at a low wage we can train them not just to do the things that we do, but to do them the way that we want them done in our company. And that's been huge for us is that we're not taking techs that we've got to retrain and, you know, 
I think anyone that's um, trained up techs has probably gotten the tech that knows everything um, and knows that you're doing it wrong and they know the right way to do it. Um, and so uh, we, we like being able to train the techs the way that we want them done. This simplicity and this modularity also means that when you're designing a project, whether it's a whole neighborhood fiber to the home build or it's fiber in an MDU, you're using the same building blocks, you're using those same modular pieces. And for anyone that's ever built with Lego or anything like that as a kid, this is fun. It's just really fun to play with, right, Jeremy? Yup, here, here, there you go. See? There you go. Like, <laughs> this is Lego for grown-ups, and it's 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 really cool to use. I like modular systems. I like simple systems. Um, and it, it it serves it pays off well, let's go to the next slide and um, you know these are the elements that we on the previous slide we talked about in the wire center now we're getting close to actually connecting the home this is at the end point the residential endpoint and typically you're going to come from a cabinet to a terminal and then to some sort of a test access point or tap box on the side of the home and you have a number of ways in which you can structure that connection it can be an aerial build or a, a buried drop it could be um, within a microduct that's a protected pathway. Um, there's a number of ways in which you can connect those those homes. But the benefit of uh, what I'm showing here is that if you see uh, in each of these devices, there is a, a green connector. And these are pre-connectorized uh, devices that all you have to do is simply, uh, instead of uh, splicing, which requires an, uh, an operation where you you cut, you prep, you you could clean, you you know condition, and then you perform the splice with expensive equipment. Could take 20 to 30 minutes. The, the difference in, in connecting with a pre-connectorized connection, factory uh, tested, is that you you get it, you clean it, you scope it, you plug it in, you're done, and that's you know an order of magnitude less time. So I, I just invite Jeremy or Chris or Frost to comment on that. Yeah, I mean, I can talk a little bit about it. So our big thing is trying to get the tech that goes to do these installs. You can almost take anyone to do it. So the tech's only gonna carry a few different flavors of drops with them, a house box and the ONU at the house. I mean, we're we're trying to get this down so the tech's not carrying a bunch of parts and pieces and different things. I mean, for anybody that's been in the coax world and has done install there, you got splitters, connectors, cable, wiring. You know, you're carrying a whole bunch of stuff. This poor tech is going into the house with almost a Rubbermaid tote full of stuff, plus his tool bag and everything else. Here, you're basically, you're cleaning the fiber, plugging it in. The tools required are slim to nut. You need a drilled amount of house box on the side of the house, maybe some clips to attach the fiber, get the fiber in the house, plug it to the ONU, and it's up and going. So we're trying to minimize the tools we have to carry, the parts we have to carry, and just make it quick and easy for the tech. They open the pad, plug in the drop, run it, you know, temp on the ground if we're temping it through the conduit or if our contractors have already buried it, you're just, it's plug, the whole system is plug and play from the tap into the house is what we're trying to do. So taking our field techs that do coax installs now to transition them to fiber to the home, it's pretty easy. There's not a lot of training involved. There's not, you know, you don't have to take a tech for a day or a couple days or send them out all this training to learn how to splice and deal with bare fiber. They literally have to learn just to plug things in and you know, we've yeah, talked about plug and play, uh, and uh, I wanted to go to the next slide real quick, and then Frost, uh, you had something to say? 
Yeah, just real quick, I was just going to say, Jeremy, I don't know if you've had this experience, but so we come from, we're coming to fiber from a wireless background. So all our techs are trained in uh, telecom, DSL lines, and in doing wireless. And they'd rather do fiber, it's easier. Like my techs would rather run fiber than punch down a, an RJ45 jack um because it is simpler they got a shoulder bag and a, a power drill hanging from it and that is it you're exactly right low tools easy work and we can if we get someone on, on one fiber install because it's modular as soon as you understand how to uh, clip on that termination on the end of the fiber and how the various bits and pieces go together after one fiber install our apprentices basically we say okay you're running the next one i'm going to stand here and watch you but you're running the next one. It is. It really is that simple. So uh, this is the typical problem statement that you have a, a neighborhood that you want to run fiber to, um, and you see I've got red routes and yellow routes highlighted in the diagram with terminals in between. Where they're connected is with a 12-count MPO cable with a cascaded um, legs that go between these terminals. You can. In this case, we connected four homes per terminal, um, and you know you start at the point in which the the feeder fiber comes from the, the central office out to the wire center, and now we've got up to 32 homes on this one strand connected. Uh, same things happened on the yellow uh, thing as well. And in these elements, um, you use those plug and play techniques. Um, and I don't know if you want want to comment on any of those. I mean, the, the plug and play is just huge. The ability to just pull stuff off the shelf, like with this, if you've got an outside plan contractor coming in that drops off the splice case with MPO ports in it, and then you're able to just come in and have, you know, high, uh, high level splicers, and you want your splicers to be high level, are expensive. If you're looking at uh, bringing in labor and you've got to add bodies to grow the work that you're doing, you want to be able to bring them in and train them up fast and all of this stuff is pluggable i had no background in fiber before we started putting fiber in the ground and i was able to learn this so that says something about it we've had uh, one customer that uh, was able to to turn up 100 homes with one crew one truck one day and you know it's possible and and using these types of pre-connectorized drops really helps if you go to the next slide you can see a little bit more detail on what we're talking about for those for those drops, you can have things that are protected paths using microducts, and I know Frost use, uses that a lot. Uh, you can have a number of aerial options or buried uh, options, but the pre-connectorized uh, device is what's the, the key to all this. And when you go to the next slide, you can see the, the point I'm trying to make is that in order to install a pre-connectorized, pre-terminated drop fiber, it's two steps. You basically remove one of the protective sleeves that comes from the factory, and you snap on a plastic housing, you're done. And and that's it. That's true plug and play. You can take it and, and hook things up and, uh, and and participate in fiber deployments. And a, a really interesting thing for us was, yeah, we started this, we got into this modular type of system with our uh, first fiber to the home deployment that we built. But we very quickly realized that there is some real power in all these pieces for different types of deployments. We've started using it like Jeremy does for going up to roofs uh, to radios. We've used it in MDUs. We've used it just in single buildings just to get a fiber from one part of an office building to another 
you know, pulling a microduct through and having a replaceable fiber path is is huge. That's it. Just makes life so much easier. And that microduct is 10 mil, uh, 10 millimeter outside diameter that we're using. It'll go everywhere. This isn't like trying to find a path that you can pull an inch and a quarter duct through ceilings or digging a trench for it. You can set this microduct fast. Even when our techs have had to like dig through yards for this. It's still, you know, a couple hours, depending on how strong backed your tech is in digging digging the trench. But it's only a narrow trench. They don't need to go digging anything big because it's it's thin. So just go to the final slide, um, and this is just a summary slide to show kind of the benefits of you've using these techniques, the Migo technique, the plug and play solutions. What are they able to do in terms of solving the problem and alleviating the burden on the labor side for building out uh, fiber-based networks and Oh, Jeremy, you had some comments on these. Yeah, I mean, you know, to go back to a lot of this stuff, you know, we're we're trying to keep it as simple as we can. You know, you, you can basically take almost anybody off the street. You can teach them to put, you know, all you do is snap the little connector on. You can push the fiber through the conduit. As simple as we can make it easy to train, fast to play. You can bring a tech in, train them quick. I mean, you're talking less than a day. You can get these techs up and going, know how to plug this stuff in and send them on their way versus, you know, the days of, training out RJ45 connectors, training signal levels in coax, you know, just trying to understand signals and how they run in the coax network. I mean, there, there's some training involved in that. Whereas here, if you have light, clean it, scope it, plug it in, it, it's pretty fast. We're trying to make this as quick, efficient as we can. Take techs, train them quick, get them out in the field, get them doing installs and, and get them going from there, so. Okay, um, we'll turn it back over to Gary. Thanks, guys. This is uh, really interesting. You know, I've kind of my vision is, you know, being able to, you know, go get a good cleave and be able to polish it up and get your fusion slicer out there. And I can picture in Jeremy's situation up in the top of a grain elevator, trying to get your little fusion splicer and snapping it together and hope, hoping for the best. I tried it one time on the top of an elevator in a 20 mile an hour wind. It was not the smartest thing I've probably done in my career. We made it, but it wasn't fun. So. Plug and play. A yeah. uh, bunch of questions. So first, I, I think uh, Frost, you mentioned that you used a contract company. So one of the questions that came in was, what's the response time um, to a fiber cut from your contracted um, company? Uh, three hours. They're, three hours. They are specifically an emergency response company. We have a contract that says that they will keep a crew on ready standby. And if we have a fiber cut on our, it's mainly on our backhaul fiber. Um, but I would strongly recommend having, unless you're fully set up with like a, a response team in-house. Um, I mean, I, I get to sleep at night knowing that I've got their phone number that I can call. So, Yeah, I had um, AT&T over. I have AT&T fiber at my house and uh, our dog chewed up our fiber. And the, right. the guys from AT&T are sitting there trying to find the trouble. And I'm like, there's the big hole with the fiber chewed up. <laughs> And I guess to talk to that real quick. So one of the things, one of the big problems we run into, you know, up here, northern Midwest is it's winter nine months out of the year, practically, right? So we had to also come up with a temp solution. So customer calls in in December, there's three feet of frost in the ground. We're not bearing a line to their house, right? We had to come up with a fiber solution that was tempable so we can go from tap to house, get the customer service middle of December, January, you know is 10 below outside and with this solution and with the plug and play options, I mean, you're not at 10 below, you're not gonna wanna sit on the side of the house and splice the fiber outside. It's just not, you can, but your fingers are gonna hurt. So 
Although that fusion spikes keep you warm, but uh, right. uh, so one of the, the questions that came in is, I get that plug and play makes it easy to train text, minimize equipment inventory, but what about costs? Isn't it a lot more expensive to do it this way? It is, think, it, for us at least, we, we ran the numbers, it was way cheaper to do this. Um, the, the drop cost, I mean, if you're carrying the raw cable and you're used to doing it from scratch, yeah, it's gonna be a little bit more expensive. If you're transitioning from splicing all your own stuff, to carrying materials this way um but on the whole when we looked at it from scratch from the like okay what's the roi on what we spend to do a customer install and we look at the labor that we've got if you know if you have a full stable of techs that all have a fusion splicer on their truck then and they're all trained up for it then you're probably already set but if you're looking at doing this or you're looking at bringing in new techs this is significantly cheaper in the long run it pays off it really does up are both sides of the drop pre-connectorized? Yes, the ones we're using, there's a connector at the tab side and then there's a the house side is also connectorized. Um, we have the house boxes that we use, there is areas in there or a place in there to store the slack fiber. So we try to get the drop within about 50 feet, wrap the extra 50 to, you know, you can get 90 feet in the box that we use wrapped up in the back. So you're still connectorizing it, just wrapping the slack up in the box. So. The, uh, the way we're doing it is we're using the, it's a small box, it's maybe this big, um, and you mount the fiber on the reel. So we'll put on that box on the outside of the house where there's a junction, we'll use one fiber that we shoot out from there to the, uh, the MST, and then one fiber from there inside of the house. And that means we've got a test point on the outside, all the electronics are in the home, um, no concerns about vandalism or theft, and, uh, and it's, it's quick and easy. If we are going to roll up into a test, you might have answered some of this question, but how do you determine how long uh, aerial drop to order, and then what do you do with the extra uh, slack on the drop cable? Yeah. So what we do, this is where the few skews come in. So our drop, our techs carry, I think there's eight lengths of drops that they carry with them. So we try to get it within 50 feet. So the tech's going to have your eight lengths, you know, so they just got a stack of drops in their van go out there, kind of wheel it off quick. So, you know, this is, hey, I need a, this is 220 feet. So I grab my 250 foot drop out of the bag, hang it or put it, you know, lay it on the ground or pull it through the pipe that's there, break out the, the house side of it. So we don't have any slack in the ped. In the ped, you're just connecting, yeah, plugging the connector right into the tap. At the house, you're breaking it out, wrapping the slack around the reel in the back of the box. And then the reel in the front of the box, you pull it out into the house, kind of like Frost is doing. So you have you have two different fibers in the box at the house, one coming from the tap, the other one that's going into the house. So what does a, a repair trouble call look like in various weather conditions? I guess you guys have the whole gambit of weather. Well, so, yeah, Jeremy can speak to this better because I'm in Santa Cruz. We don't have weather. <laughs> yeah, they, so a lot of times, you know, so say it is middle of january you know say that conduit pulls apart when the ground heaves which we run into breaks your fiber drop with the solution we have you're just going to take a new drop lay it on the ground get the customer up and going we'll come back in the spring when the ground's thawed fix the conduit fix the pipe if it gets cut you know you can quickly just grab another drop out of your truck fix the conduit pull it through the drop plug it back into the house it's quick restoration time you're not looking for a splicer we're not usually splicing the drop we just pull a new one through quick and easy that's, you can send any tech out to do it that's exactly the same for us the most common thing that we've seen is uh well two things number one is someone's doing construction 
or like re-landscaping and they forget that there's fiber in their yard and the landscaper puts a spade right through the conduit or you know something a little beefier maybe right through the conduit and just cuts it and then the second one is uh is animal damage um and they're infrequent i think in the last couple of years we've maybe had three maybe four of these but yeah we go out we dig a hole we find the conduit we pull the old fiber all the way out um we'll repair the conduit and it's just push fit um repair fittings push fit couplers if we have to scab in a piece we'll have two of those push fit couplers that repairs a couple of minutes fill the hole back up and throw a new drop through just the same way as you threw the drop through in the first place and it's you know there's no splicing it's quicker than the first install because you don't have to bury the whole thing and uh, we got a ton of questions uh just maybe you guys can follow up with those but you know, this last comment i guess says i love connectorized stuff but you have to watch the link budget you guys run into that issue yeah that's the that's the factor you know if you're if you're really pushing your link budgets then you're you're gonna have to really kind of do the math on them um because i knew we were going into connectorized for our whole deployment we plan for that and if you're planning for it man you you're buying yourself so much so one of the things that uh, clearfield prides itself on is on the insertion loss for the each connector um we really focus on that being the lowest in the, in the industry and typical uh insertion loss for a made a pair is 0.4 db ours is 0.2 db guaranteed or less typically much less so that that basically cuts your your uh optical budget or improves your optical budget by having less insertion loss on the pre-connector well good so hopefully you guys can follow up on some a lot of these great questions so I've, you know really thank the audience for um so many really good questions and thanks you know kevin and frost and jeremy you know this really interesting session and really appreciate you guys joining us you know so next week uh, we're going to be discussing frontier communications so we're, look, we're talking about the alchemy of turning copper into gold with spencer uh, churn who's a equity analyst at uh, new search research excuse me new street research and he'll be discussing how frontier will be transforming itself from a broken ILEC into a fiber-based infrastructure asset over the course of the next several years and how other companies can benefit from Frontier's approach. I always love the Wall Street guys on, you know, the show how creative fiber is. So please join us next week. And again, thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to getting back together next Wednesday.